No, that's new. That's new. That's never happened before. <laughs> All right. Thank Surprise. you. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Uncork Corner podcast. I'm Nick. I'm here as always with my co-host, Bianca. And today Hello. we're excited to welcome Matt from Sap House Meadery in Ossipi, New Hampshire. Matt, let's uh, start by having you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background in uh, making mead and how the brewery got started, or meadery, I should say. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, first off, obviously, thank you for uh, for having me on and and uh, trying some meads and, and stuff. Um, it's really it's a pleasure to uh, to get to do this and talk to folks that are into mead. So, yeah, I mean, I. Uh, I uh, started Sap House Meadery uh, back in 2009, end of 2009, with, with my cousin, Ash. Um, we were homebrewers, you know, kind of typical story. Uh, wanted to do something in Ossipee, which is our hometown. We, we kind of grew up there. And, uh, you know, had kind of seen the trend of breweries and, you know, restaurants and places like that to help to revitalize, uh, you know, neighborhoods, you know, beat up downtowns, things like that. And Ossipi is kind of a typical, you know, sort of like New England mill town that just probably a hundred years ago was great, but <laughs> certainly wasn't at the time, uh, you know, lots of cool buildings and history, but really not a lot going on. So, you know, we kind of bounced around the idea. I'd made some, some beer and some cider. He'd made a ton of mead and, um, you know, we, we, we kind of started thinking about, well, could we do both? Um, but eventually settled on mead just because <laughs> it sounds kind of dumb now, but at the time we thought there were too many breweries, <laughs> which was uh, obviously very wrong, but I'm, I'm very happy that we went with mead because, you know, it just, it's, it's kind of a niche. It lets us, you know, definitely stand out, do something a little bit different and kind of like make things up as we go. Um, you know, everybody's, you know, our, us and our colleagues in the industry, we're all kind of just blazing the trail, I guess, for, for what is need and uh, what it can be. So that's always been really fun. And, you know, as far as Ossipi goes, I'd like to think that we've had a positive dent on, you know, bringing it back, getting people into, into town that, you know, maybe otherwise wouldn't be there and, um, you know, filling up some of those old buildings with some interesting stuff. So I think uh, it definitely helped for me because I am actually always driving through that area, right on Route 25 all the way through from Portland into like Lake Winnipesaukee area. So I'm always passing through, but I'd never strayed off that main route and uh, kind of the area that you're in there with, and there's restaurants and everything. And it was a nice little area and I was excited and I loved uh, stopping in and seeing your actual tasting room meadery location. It was beautiful in there. And it was a very, very nice space and somewhere that I'm definitely going to be stopping in a lot more often on my way through there. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that, what you guys have to offer in your tasting room. I know um, it looked like you might have had tacos up on the chalkboard when I was there last uh, week when I picked up the samples. But tell us about what people can experience if they come visit you in person. Yeah, um, I mean, we've got a, a full restaurant, essentially. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a smaller spot. It's kind of tucked away. The building is, um, the building that we're in is about 125 years old. So it's, uh, you know, it's not exactly purpose built for mead manufacturing, <laughs> um, but it works pretty well as, uh, as a little tasting room and, and pub. We've got, you know, we, we got flights of all the meads. We do mead cocktails. We've got, um, 
beer, obviously local craft beers. We've even got some wine. If somebody's desperate, uh, we even have some hard seltzer if somebody's really, really desperate. And, uh, I even have, we've got some like old time regulars. They don't really like mead, but they live around the corner and they, they like the atmosphere. So I like kind of on the down low, I've always got a six pack of Miller high life, like tucked under in one of the drawers in the fridge for those guys. Um, but uh, as far as food goes, yeah, we've got the tacos. It's uh, it's a pretty eclectic menu. We've got tacos, we've got curries. Uh, you know, people love to come in and do like a little bit of a, like, like a pre-dinner, uh, you know, cheese boards and drinks, that kind of thing. Uh, we do a lot of desserts, stuff like that. Um, burgers, you know, we're even playing around with maybe doing some pizza this year. So we kind of just make whatever pops into our head. Honestly, one of the most popular things that we do um, is an oyster night on Friday nights. I go down to the seacoast and grab, you know, some fresh oysters and, and we do, uh, you know, buck a shuck kind of thing. Yeah, I think that would definitely that be something awesome. I'll be stopping in for Bianca and I both love that. But <laughs> we do. Yeah, that would be a really good thing. You know, if you're talking kind of, you know, pre-dinner food and drink something that you can grab and, you know, you can throw back a bunch of oysters and some meat before you head out to do, you know, a bigger dinner because it's not going to, I guess, get in the way too much, but it'll be nice. And it's definitely uh, an awesome place. So if you're in the New England area, definitely stop by there. Um, and one thing that you just mentioned too, that I don't think we've really talked about much at all. We've sampled a fair bit of meat here on this podcast, but we haven't really talked meat cocktails. So tell us about some of your favorite meat cocktails, you know, which meads that you offer here that, you know, you put into them. Uh, if any of the ones that we have here are put into any of the cocktails so we can try them out for ourselves. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. Let's hear about that. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, so the meat cocktails is, definitely something that we're, we're pretty big into. It was actually, uh, the, doing a cocktail was kind of the impetus for, um, starting the pub side of things. So the, 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 the place that you were in, um, didn't really look like that until about 2015, 2016. Before that, it was just a tasting room, um, you know, pretty basic setup. You could just sample the meads and, you know, we would do the tasting, let somebody try everything. And, uh, and then obviously we just kind of talk and, and hang out and we could always sense that people wanted more you know they'd be standing there at the bar they'd have sampled everything and uh you know they just want more out of out of the experience so we weren't with new hampshire law we weren't allowed to you know sell glasses of mead at the time uh, or sell you know cocktails or anything like that we could give you free samples um and we could charge for for a tasting what we decided to do to kind of like test the idea out was we set up this little cooler behind the bar and we could sell somebody a two ounce sample. So we would sell them a two ounce sample uh, and then we would give them, uh, you know, some mixers, some ice and some mixers and, uh, you know, just happen to be in the same glass. And so, you know, we're selling these little like, you know, four or $5 mini cocktails as a way to give people an excuse to kind of hang out and shoot the shit with us for a little bit. And uh, it was just, you know, it, it was kind of just a way to sort of see what, what that would be like. But what we learned was that people were really into the idea of mixing uh, meat cocktails and incorporating it. Um, so we started talking to some of the restaurants that we worked with in terms of like, you know, selling our meat wholesale, um, started talking to some of the bartenders and trying to get some ideas. We've done some cocktail like recipe contests. We, we in fact, we just finished one up um, 
maybe last week or the week before with the, you know, fans could just submit cocktails. Uh, but what we've really found is that, I mean, you know, you can do just about anything with mead in terms of flavor profiles because you can add just about anything to it. And so it ends up that mead is just as versatile as a mixer as any spirit, really. You know, you've got anything for spirits, anything for cordials, whatever, kind of the same thing with mead. Um, I'm trying to think the ones that you've got. I know you mentioned that you've got the, the one of these days, which is a bourbon barrel aged mead. So that one, you know, uh, obviously lends itself to kind of like uh, an old fashioned style drink that we do. Um, you know, it's the bourbon barrel mead, uh, you know, big cube of ice, uh, these particular black bitters that we've got, little muddled orange peel, um, you know, and that makes for a great little cocktail there. Uh, the raspberry jam sesh, obviously good session mead, great in the summertime, you know, super refreshing. The old fashioned style cocktail. So you mentioned you had the black bitters. So is that like the uh, black walnut bitters? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, I, I think so. It's got, I know it's got black walnut, but it's got a bunch of other things in it too. It's got like black pepper, black walnut. It's got like cardamom in it. It's just, the label just says black bitters. Um, and it's got this just really interesting note to it. You know, I mean, it's obviously with the walnut, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like, I don't know, like an amaretto kind of thing, but then you've got the spice in there too. So that's a really interesting uh, you know, addition to getting something a little bit more sharp in there, you know, meads are tend to be kind of fruity, kind of sweet, um, getting something kind of savory, kind of sharp in there, um, you know, always helps to balance it out. Same thing with the citrus, you know, muddling up a little bit of an orange peel, um, you know, has a good, has a good effect. I think the, the piece that um, I, I just mentioned earlier about the, uh, the raspberry jam session, obviously by itself, it's a great summer drink, you know, being a, a you know, just a good session need. Um, but in the summertime, when we've got it on draft, we'll make like essentially like, you know, a, a, a mojito out of it. And we'll just take some, uh, some mint, some lime, muddle it up, throw some ice in the glass and then fill it with the raspberry jam sesh. Uh, you know, so mint raspberry, um, you know, just great sitting out on the patio kind of thing. So they kind of run the gamut from like, you know, uh, like just making something that's really easy to drink, you know, in the hot weather, kind of like a, you know, a porch cocktail to doing something, you know, that's a little bit more complex and layered, like, you know, picking out different kind of bitters and things like that. I think my favorite part about mead, especially I just took a sip of the raspberry jam sesh because I'm impatient and wanted to try it. <laughs> but um, I think my favorite part about mead is how good it just smells and like all the fruity flavors and I think it's it's so different than like beer and wine and obviously like they have their own tasting profiles as well but I just love like the flavor mixes and the fruit mixes that are in meads and uh raspberry is my absolute favorite so I'm excited uh to talk about that one but that sounds incredible I love mojitos and I think that's something that I would really enjoy if I was making it for myself. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. find that a lot with um, with some of the meads that we've tried too. If you have, you know, like a traditional classic mead, it does follow to me, to my palate, more in the lines of a spirit than like a wine or a beer that you're going to drink straight. Like I can definitely see with the texture and, you know, the power and they're typically very flavorful and it's not, you know, you're not getting very subtle notes. It usually hits you in the face with whatever's in it. So I can see that going into a cocktail, definitely being 
uh, a great base spirit, if you will, for a traditional cocktail as well. And the draft means that you have here and talking about that uh, more like a porch cocktail style also I think is a great idea because it just makes it a bit more drinkable for those hot days. So yeah, I am excited to try those as well. So if you want, we can start with those Bianca, since you already took a sip, I'll crack my uh, <laughs> jam sesh open as well. Um, Cause I, I haven't it. tried either of these yet. So I'm excited. So Bianca, wh while yeah. I take it, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what you experienced? So I have three here and I didn't list them off before. So Nick and I have split them up as usual. Um, I have the raspberry jam session, which we can talk about first. And then I have this bottle is amazing. I love the bee on it. So cute. Um, the bramble. So I don't know if I've had a blackberry maple flavor before. So that will be a fun one to try. I haven't, I have not tried those yet. I, I promise. Um, but we can start with the raspberry jam session. If you, I can just talk about my, my experience with it. And then you can tell us about that in detail. I know you did kind of cover it a little bit, but it's so refreshing. It's, it's truly a great summer, like just pop the can open and enjoy it outside. Like it's so good. Um, and as I said, raspberry is like, it's my thing. Uh, raspberry is my jam. We'll go with that. Uh, but it's, it's really, really good. And I did get a chance to try the blueberry as well. Um, which my fiance ran off with because he likes blueberry and that was also very tasty. So I, I think these are both really, really good, great for the summer. And I just love how like bright and fruity the, the flavors are um, for the summer year. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that is, you know, raspberry is just such a good flavor. I think we just find every excuse to put it into something that we can drink that we can. We make, um, you know, I mean, like a still raspberry, we've made the raspberry jam sesh. One of our, my favorites that we've got, um, going right now is a raspberry uh with hibiscus and rose hips um so yeah i mean we're just raspberry everywhere oh, there you go. i nice. have that too <laughs> nick did you plan this no i didn't perfect timing though but yeah to i just took my first sip of it as well and i'm totally with you and i think what this would really fill kind of uh the need for is something that has that fruit that has that sippability that isn't just a I guess a sugar bomb like a lot of the stuff that's out in the market for that now because you're not always going to be in the mood to sip you know a regular meat if it's a really hot day I know we got I think we got like 90 degrees coming up in the next couple and I'm probably not going to be sipping sitting outside drinking a traditional meat on those days you're going to want something refreshing but you might not want a beer some people don't like beer and I know for me I don't like seltzer so I don't really have that refreshing, fruity drink that I would want to have kind of out in the summer on the porch without making sort of a porch style cocktail. But something like this is definitely something that I can see myself gravitating towards because it's not overly carbonated. You don't get that, but you still get that fruitiness. And it is from, a, I guess, a texture and a mouthfeel perspective, more along the lines of like a, maybe like a lager style beer um, where it's not too heavy. It goes down easy. And you're just getting those nice flavors really on the back end too, especially. Um, but definitely something that I could see myself drinking during the summer on a really hot day. Yeah, right on. I, I agree. <laughs> Nick, you have the blueberry as well. So do you want yeah, to start us off with that one? Yeah, I'll crack this one now. Also, I love the can on this, uh, the blueberry one. It's sort of classic, almost... Uh, I guess garage text. I don't even know what you want to call it. It's almost, um, uh, man, I don't even know. Americani 
Uh, very cool yeah. can. Yeah. That's, I mean, uh, you, you nailed it. It's the reason that it's called wrench turner and that it looks like that is because the production building is, uh, it was an old garage back in like the thirties and the forties. So you nailed it. Very cool. That is delicious. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, I like this a lot more than I'm not as big into fruity stuff overall. I'm more into like beers and whiskeys and things like that. But last time I tried anything that was super blueberry, it's never really hit me. And it's, I think it's because it's probably a lot of, you know, artificial flavors or sugars or whatever, but like blueberry sodas and things like that. But this blueberry mead, you, it's perfect because I don't get any tartness or bitterness on it. You just get that nice blueberry flavor with a really drinkable, you know, like slightly carbonated beverage. And again, super refreshing, just like the raspberry one. Um, but, you know, I'm up here in Maine and I guess Maine, the big thing is blueberry, Maine blueberry, see that <laughs> everywhere. So uh, this is probably one that I'm sure, are you only available in New Hampshire right now or could we find this stuff uh, in other areas of New England as well? Yeah, so we're we're in uh, obviously New Hampshire, Massachusetts, um, Connecticut, and Rhode Island, uh, and then some parts of New York as well, like the city and you know sort of just outside the city, uh, you can find our stuff. Haven't jumped over here to Maine yet. Soon we've tried, we've tried. It's it's tough, you know. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a big state. <laughs> it's a deceivingly big state. It is. Nick, you get this reaction a lot and you are always surprised. I am always surprised because <laughs> I just know, and I think part of it too is just the, uh, I guess the craft beverage scene is so big here already that there's only so much room, but I don't know of any really good local meaderies. The only meadery I know up here in Maine is that Maine Mead Company or a Honeymaker or whatever it is, but I, I haven't really been a huge fan of the stuff that I've tried from them that's just on the supermarket shelves but maybe I haven't tried enough of it but I definitely from some of the other ones that we've tried here like them a lot better um and I could see myself drinking one of these like the draft style meads a lot more often than I will a traditional mead just because you can grab it and drink it whenever you want it's so easy and so refreshing so I'm looking I want to get these in the shelves luckily I said I always drive through there so I'm just gonna have to stock up on my way through Ossipy this this podcast is going to blow up and go viral and then the demand is just going to overwhelm <laughs> for us to get into maine and, and dozens of listeners all of our main friends listening <laughs> yeah that's right uh for those who are listening speaking of i did want to mention because i i don't know if we said it before these two the jam session the wrench turner they are slightly sparkling. Is that correct? So they're uh, like a bubbly. Yeah. yeah. So for everyone listening, I just wanted to make sure that was clear because they are a little different than the flat means that we'll be trying. Right. And that's kind of what I was leaning towards when it comes to talking about certain beers that you get. It has that slight carbonation, but it's nothing like a seltzer that's going to be, you know, super bubbly uh, in your mouth. You're not really going to notice that. It's just um, just enough to give it that sort of refreshing light, almost airiness to it. But yeah, Bianca, do you want to take us into some of, now that you teased a little bit, these, I guess, flat meads 
Is that what we're calling them? Is that what they're called? I don't know the official <laughs> name if that type is, so I just made it up, but you can tell us because you're the expert. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you know, we're all like making it up as we go. That's what I said before. It's you <laughs> yep. We can all just make things up. I mean, so the way that I, I don't know if this is like official uh, industry, you know, consensus, but the way that we kind of refer to it is like meads that, uh, you know, like the ones, the, the Bramble, uh, the one of these days, those we just call them traditional style. Um, so, you know, they're more wine-like, they're not carbonated, they're generally in like the wine strength, 12, 13, 14, 15%. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the ones in the cans, we either refer to them as session meads or draft meads, um, because, you know, draft is really like, I mean, session, I think is probably the, the like, quote unquote, right term, but draft mead just seems to be better at communicating with the consumer that like, oh no, this is like a lower alcohol carbonated, like I would get this on draft, you know, it, it kind of sets the expectations for everybody. Um, whereas traditional meads, like, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of more like what meat is, what, what people think meat is, I should say. Yeah. I Much agree with you there. I definitely <laughs> think, and if you're not super into, I guess the craft beer scene, you wouldn't really be too familiar with session ales and stuff because it's not really, I don't think common nomenclature for you know the general public but um so i think draft really hits the nail on the head for what you're experiencing when you're drinking it uh so bianca i'll let you start with the uh the flat meads the traditional yeah, meads here yeah, i'm making up stuff as i go it's fine okay so i have experiment 2004 is that the official name of the raspberry hibiscus and roses that that's the i mean that's the official number i know? love it <laughs> Experiment 2004. Okay, we're going to try it. Good. It's also very raspberry, which is nice. Um, it's very similar to the sparkling, but not sparkling. So I feel like the flavors are still, because of the raspberry, it's, it's very nice. Um, so I did notice there was a pretty significant difference in the alcohol by volume when it comes from a bottle to a can. What is it that causes that? And is there a reason that like two cans have to be a certain percentage? Is that why you do it that way? Um, yeah, there's kind of a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, you know, we're the can, the, the, the session, the draft, the sparkly, whatever you want to call them, that style need being in a four pack in a can, you know, people, when they're drinking that, they're going to want to, you know, be doing stuff like out active, you know, whatever at the, at the beach, hiking, mowing the lawn, yada, yada, like treating it similar to, you know, a cider in a can or a seltzer or a beer. Um, so it would be kind of dangerous and maybe a little sketchy to uh, be thrown around 15% four <laughs> packs <laughs> of mead that uh, went down quite that easy. Uh, so yeah, we, we wanted to make something that was a little bit lower alcohol, a little bit more, you know, you can have a few uh, kind of situation. And then also there are some like kind of dumb archaic laws that govern, you know, things. And uh, it's, that's why 6.9% is where we're at um, as opposed to seven or six and a half or whatever. So yeah, there's kind of a combination of, you know, just trying to uh, you know, make it fit the context of when the consumer is going to be drinking it. And then also fitting into just the lunacy that is our, 
you know, country and, and states uh, liquor laws. <laughs> now, I'm curious about that with the 6.9, because I've definitely had beers that are above that before with an ABV. And is that just because maybe it's in, is it a 16 ounce can thing? Is it something to do with that? Or is it just something weird with beer compared to mead? It's yeah, it's, it's weird. So we're technically, there is no such thing as like a meadery as far as like the U.S. government's concerns. Um, we're all licensed as either wineries or there's probably a few licensed as breweries. And so we're licensed as a winery. Um, and so they have all these kind of weird regulations around the size of the container that you can put things in. Um, and if you make something below a certain alcohol level, you uh, below 7%, essentially, you get out of that jurisdiction and it opens things up a little bit. Uh, but the state of New Hampshire doesn't let you make any wine that's less than a certain amount. So we have this like very narrow window where you know we're low enough that we don't have to worry about the federal regulations, but we're high enough that we you know don't have to worry about these like weird state regulations. So that is a yeah, weird state regulation. You can't have anything <laughs> below a certain amount. I mean, yeah, I get the max value, but the the minimums is that's even weirder. Yeah, well, that's that's New Hampshire. <laughs> Doing it big. Uh, so we'll try this one next. So I have another traditional meat here. Not all meats are created equal honey wine. Um, this one, I love just to comment. I love these bottles. And I know I find that a lot with some of the different meaderies. There's always funky bottles that you guys experiment with. More so when you see, with a lot of spirits, you see kind of different shaped bottles and stuff. But it's definitely uh, all over the map when it comes to mead, like, comparing the two that I hear I have this one and I have the uh the other one trying not to spill because I just realized I don't have a cork on this one but the, um one of these days is short and stout and the other one's super tall and skinny or it's um, in a can or, or it's in a can <laughs> so what goes into choosing before or while I taste this I'll have you talk about this um choosing the bottle uh is it just basically whatever you think will fit with what that is or is it something to do with the flavor or presentation or tell us a little bit about that yeah, uh, I mean, kind of similar to the, the last question, like it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of, um, you know, trying to pick a bottle that represents, um, you know, the style that's going into it. So, you know, with the, the one of these days being a barrel aged mead, um, you know, it's got more of a spirit like characteristic. And so that bottle that, you know, kind of short, stout, square shouldered bottle uh, is a little bit more reminiscent of a spirit, you know, um, you, you might find like a whiskey or a gin or something like that in a bottle uh, that looked like that. So, you know, we, by putting it in that bottle, it's, it, it kind of helps to evoke those, those ideas in the, in the consumer's mind. You know, the tall skinny bottle, it's funny that, that you say that uh, I'm, it's actually, it was a matter of necessity. Um, we used to use a different style bottle uh, that was clear and a little bit shorter than that, a little bit more, um, just like a little mini Bordeaux bottle, essentially. And uh, they stopped making it <laughs> just out of the blue. One day we got a phone call and they're like, yep, no, no more making that bottle. And uh, we, we really liked it. Uh, we would dip the top in beeswax that we had colored based on, uh, you know, the ingredients that were going in. And that was kind of the aesthetic. And then, uh, you know, one day we couldn't do that anymore. So we had to kind of scramble and find a new bottle. And we have to, uh, you know, use 375 milliliter 
bottles uh, for what we what we do, and there aren't that many. And that was uh, just one that you know kind of spoke to us. Didn't feel, um, you know, it, it felt like it, it it had some class to it. It felt like it had um, you know a shelf presence, like being tall. It you know it would have you'd, you'd be able to kind of see it. It would stand out a little bit. Um, I, I honestly I would like to find a different style bottle because. Uh, what we didn't realize was that they are uh, horrifically uh, tippy. They will fall over if you look at them funny. And so putting them on a shelf at a store, um, you know, is, is a, it's a risky, it's a risky proposition. Um, in fact, I just had to, uh, I just had to run up uh, Saturday afternoon to a, a grocery store because they had put our, uh, bottles on the top shelf of like a rack in the aisle and uh you know it was just somebody had hit it with a cart and they had tipped and nothing had broken but you know it, it was kind of that thing so i ran up and with my drill and some like black iron pipe and like fabricated this <laughs> rail thing around the top of the shelf to keep the bottles from tipping over so you know it's uh it's just one of those things <laughs> And I also imagine some places where they're trying to fit a lot in there might be too tall for the shelf too. That's a tall bottle. Yeah, no. 100%. Um, <laughs> so to get into the tasting of this one, so this is a traditional honey wine uh, mead here. And what I'm tasting when I taste it, it's just liquid honey. That's liquid gold. That's very tasty, very sippable. Um, there's no bad aftertastes or bitterness or anything or any strong i guess alcohol taste on it it's just it really is like drinking liquid honey it's really good yeah i love this one yeah and and uh you know i mean this obviously isn't any surprise to you guys but what what i always appreciate about that you know just just a straight honey mead is how representative of the honey that's going into it is and you know and that changes based on the season based on the geography of the hives, um, you know, and, and a bunch of different factors, you know, it's, I, I always kind of refer to it as, you know, essentially like the terroir of, of the mead, same idea, you know, the, the weather and the climate and the soil affect the grapes, which affects the wine and, and the same idea, you know, the flowers that are blooming um, when the bees are collecting the nectar affects the honey, affects the mead. And that, that traditional mead you know, it's, it's, it's noticeable in all of the meads to some extent, but in the traditional, because it is just honey, um, you know, it's really there. If we get our honey pretty much entirely from Northern New England. And so, you know, based on where it's coming from, that mead is going to change subtly, you know, it's going to have, you know, these kind of like sagey herbal clover notes. Um, you know, if it's coming from upstate Vermont, you know, if it's down in like, the Pioneer Valley, Connecticut River Valley in like Western Massachusetts, uh, usually a later season honey, like it's a little bit more robust, a little bit more uh, vegetal, I guess you could say. Um, and that's always changing just based on what's, you know, where the bees were going and, and where we were getting honey from, which I think is one of the coolest parts of, of mead. I've, we, we've got, uh, you know, a lot of different varietal honeys that we play around with and do barrel aging. We've got, uh, you know, we've got a, uh, a honey, it's a very, there's maybe like, I don't know, two gallons of this mead, but it, when we first started, we were buying honey from, uh, 
<laughs> basically this guy that lived in the middle of the woods uh nearby and uh it was a little sketchy but he was pretty nice and he had good honey so uh, one day i'm there i'm picking some stuff up and he's got these two jars on his shelf and they're like this really dark color and i was like george what what the hell are those and he's like they oh that's honey from 1998 and uh i was like why do you have honey kicking around from 1998 he's like well we had that big ice storm that year um and he's like you know it was like somebody took a rolling pin over the forest uh and when the bees woke up in the spring it was a late bloom on flowers they didn't have enough forage uh so they started collecting instead of nectar from flowers they were collecting sap from all the busted trees and broken branches and stuff and they made essentially honey out of tree sap and uh so that honey was a run out of out of that year and i was like oh my god i tasted it and it tastes i don't know it tasted like 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 sweet bark <laughs> you know like it tasted like trees and acorns and stuff um you know almost a little bit like maple syrup but not quite and uh so anyway we bought that honey and we made a little batch and we always said we were going to release this like ice storm honey mead for our like 20th anniversary um actually we used to say we'd do it for our 10th but then we forgot and our 10th anniversary was in february so it's gonna have to be the 20th now <laughs> Now, is there any way to sort of control what the bees are, I guess, pollinating or using to produce that honey? Um, is, is, I'm trying to think of a good way to put this. Uh, is there any way to guess, control the environment or control the area that the bees are in to say, I want this honey to taste like this? Or is it really just whatever the bees are going to do, the bees are going to do? It's pretty much whatever the bees are going to do, they're going to do. Um... You know, I mean, they'll go for miles in any direction if they need to, um, to collect the nectar. And so, you know, best thing, like, I mean, you see a lot of places will just move hives around to different farms um, or different areas. You know, that's one way of, of doing it. You're not really controlling what the bees go to, but you're controlling where the bees kind of start from. You know, so if you want, you know, real good blueberry blossom honey, you just plunk the hives down and you know, a giant blueberry field, and it's probably going to be primarily blueberry blossoms. Uh, but yeah, there's, you can't, you can't put up a, a you know, a little mini poster on the inside of the hive with a map that says go here, you know. Yeah, this is what we want. <laughs> if only. <laughs> if only. So is that your last mead, Nick? Or do you have another one? I have one more. Do you well, not have another bottle with you? That you crack? Well, I do. I have the bramble, but All I right. didn't know if you had done your other one yet. So no. Well, we we're next tall off. skinny ball. You go here. next. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you take the bramble. Okay. So I tasted this when we were just talking, and this one's really interesting because it reminds me more of a, like a wine than it does the other ones did. I think it's because the maple gives it more of a natural flavor. It's a little bit less a lot. I shouldn't say a little bit, it's a lot less of that like tart fruity and a lot nicer, uh, like a soft, really cool flavor with the blackberry and the maple together, um, which blackberry I feel like is not a super fruity fruit anyway. It's a very good like subtle berry. Um, so with the maple, it has a really interesting flavor and a really like a cool, I think just overall like palette texture. Um, it's good. It reminds me so much of like a red wine, like a light red wine. I just, the texture is a lot different, but flavor wise, I feel like that's kind of what's stuck up to me. It's just from drinking and trying a lot of different wines. Like 
that was kind of what hit me with this one. And I could be way off, but I'd love to get your your input on, you know, what it is supposed to taste like and what your thoughts are behind it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty spot on description. Um, you know, the reason that we call, we, we actually used to call it blackberry maple. Um, we've been making that meat for a long time. We, we changed it to bramble, you know, maybe four or five years ago. Um, and part of the reason was because, you know, the word bramble, uh, you know, like you said, blackberries aren't super fruity. Like if you eat a blackberry, like if you're eating like, you know, blackberry ice cream, you know, or black raspberry ice cream, which I think most people, you know, like that's their association. Like that's not really representative. Like you eat a blackberry and like, it's kind of fruity, but like, it's kind of like harsh. It's a little planty. Like it's, it's got a lot of other things going on. So the word bramble, at least to me, you know, really kind of helps to evoke that other, the other qualities um, that you get when eating a blackberry, you know, especially like if you get one that's not quite so ripe uh, in the handful, you know, there's got that kind of, uh, you know, green earthy note going on. And so, yeah, like that when that ferments out, um, yeah, it has like this really like red wine characteristic, you know, the tannins, uh, kind of that like drying grippiness. Um, and so by adding the maple syrup to it, uh, after by back sweetening with the maple syrup, it kind of softens that out. Um, you know, it doesn't really like overwhelm those notes, but it just kind of gives them some context and like pulls a little bit more of that fruit flavor forward. So I think that was a, exactly, exactly what we were shooting for. <laughs> I don't think I could tell you what a blackberry tastes like. I don't know if I've ever had a blackberry or when the last time I had a blackberry was. Blackberry's you're trying to think, have I had a blackberry? And I can't oh recall a single time that I have. So I'm not a big, I, like I said, I'm not a big fruit guy, not a big berry guy. It's just not my uh, cup of tea, I guess, but just a big spice guy. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We got to get a, uh, a ghost pepper meat or something from you guys. Oh man. I, I wish I knew that, man. We just, we just bottled up a, um, a, uh, a cherry and uh pasilla pepper, uh, meat. Oh, that's uh, so I, Nick. If <laughs> I'd known that I you were cherries. in New York, <laughs> if I'd known you were into hot stuff, I would have thrown that in there. Well, you know what, next time I'm coming through, I'll stop by and pick up a bottle. Because <laughs> I definitely will be soon. And that is something I definitely want to try, but yeah, beer, Bianca and I were talking about this the other day. I think there's a picture of it up on the, our Instagram now, but I uh, <laughs> recently got those Korean spicy noodle challenge noodles that have been going all around YouTube and TikTok <laughs> and everything. And I've just been eating them like they're regular food. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's my bread and butter there. Uh, but I have, so we'll try this other one next because my other cup of tea, if you will, is bourbon and whiskey. That's my other favorite. So I have the one of these days here. So this is a it's a bourbon barrel age looks like two year aged in bourbon barrel mead. So while I sip this, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, the aging process there, I guess, maybe selecting the barrels or what you kind of looked for in that and uh, what you were hoping to get on the effect on the mead. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, I mean, barrel aging is definitely, I'd say the most uh, fun and interesting part of what we do. Um, you know, we, I feel like we, we never are doing enough of it. I always want more barrels. Um, essentially our, our barrel program is matching, uh, varietal honeys with previously used spirit barrels. So, you know, um, some of my recent favorites, we did a, a star thistle honey, uh, which has that honey has kind of like almond 
uh, dark fruit notes to it, uh, pairing that and putting it into, um, you know, an old brandy barrel um, and trying to, you know, get, get those flavor combos working together, uh, doing coriander, honey in, which has kind of a, uh, like a little bit of like a spice, um, you know, a little bit of a spice note to it, putting that into an old red wine uh, barrel, French red wine barrel. So, and, but this one is, is much more straightforward. It's just our, uh, like a local wildflower honey um, fermented out. And then it's like you said, it's been two years in an old Jim Beam bourbon barrel. And so, you know, with that, we're basically like, it's kind of just a crowd pleasing barrel aged mead. It's, it's got this just wonderful uh, oak characteristic. You've got obviously the, the bourbon. I mean, when we get the barrels in, you know, they're fully saturated with whatever the spirit is. In some cases, there's still like a gallon or two of that spirit, like sloshing around in the barrel itself. So, you know, they're really getting the full effect of whatever, uh, you know, we're aging it in. And so to me, that one is just like, you know, end of a long day, you know, you got a nice big comfy recliner, you pour yourself a couple fingers of that and you just kind of like, you know, let it all melt away. That's, that's the move with that, that meal. Definitely. I'm with you there. Um, and yeah, so when tasting this, it's, uh, it has very, it's very fruity on the front. Um, it's very fruity. I don't want to say that as in, uh, it's not citrusy or anything like that. It's like, it's got a nice sweetness to it. Uh, but definitely has a lot of that urban whiskey characteristics to it where I'm getting that oakiness. I'm getting almost like vanilla on it. And then some of those darker fruits that you might have um, in certain bourbons as well. It's got that sweetness. Uh, but yeah, definitely a lot of those, a lot of that flavor is coming through that I would expect to from the barrel. So definitely on top of the fruitiness of the actual meat itself, the honey that's going into it, it's, it's super tasty. And I can definitely see myself ending a long day with this one for sure. And that's <laughs> what we're doing today, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you have a lot of really interesting flavors. We've talked about a, a, quite a few of them already. But one of the ones that I had seen on your website earlier and I was checking out everything else that you have was the chamomile mint, which is experiment 2104. Uh, is that actually minty? And what what is, is honey, like that honey flavor in a mead in a mint mix like? And I can imagine the chamomile must have its own powerful flavor too. So is that like completely different than all of your fruit forward meads? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of those, um, we, we actually do a lot of more herbal infused styles. They end up being fairly dry, uh, you know, things like chamomile, jasmine. Um, we've done uh, several different kinds of basil uh, infusions, you know, Thai basils and, and things like that. We've done uh, anise hyssop, uh, which is a, a, you know, kind of a licorice flower. Um, you know, that kind of style of mead is a really great, uh, counterpoint to doing all these big, heavy fruit guys or, or the ones that are, you know, uh, you know, more the barrel age, which are, you know, delicious, uh, but very intense in flavor and very heavy handed. So we always try to have a variety of stuff. Um, and, you know, we have the session style meads, which are, you know, definitely fill the role of something that's like a little bit lighter and easier to drink. 
but you know, mead is just so versatile. You can make traditional style meads, you know, that are 12%. Uh, they're still, they're not, not carbonated, you know, very wine-like, but that are very light, you know, that are fairly dry, have very subtle flavors like the chamomile and the mint. They're in there. They're not going to like reach out and, and slap you. Like they're pretty mild. They're pretty subtle. Um, the mint, I mean, you know, I don't know what words to use to describe mints other than minty. <laughs> uh, it's there. Um, it's not, it, it is pretty subtle. The chamomile, chamomile is really interesting. We like playing around with chamomile. Um, chamomile, depending on the variety actually can have, you know, that really familiar like chamomile tea quality to it. Um, it can also have kind of a more tropical fruit note to it. Uh, which is really interesting. In fact, there's a uh, there's um, one a mead that we've made in the past. We use something called pineapple weed, which sounds kind of strange, but it's actually just a, it's a cousin to chamomile. It's wild chamomile essentially, and it it's a weed. It grows everywhere. I would bet money that it's probably growing in your gravelly driveway right now, uh, and it makes these little like little mini flowers that look like little mini pineapples and uh you pick those you crush them up and it tastes like i like malibu rum um and it's just this wild flavor that you can elicit out of something that grows very locally um and so yeah chamomile it kind of runs the gamut and it, all of our different herbal infused meads i mean you can get all kinds of different flavors uh that raspberry hibiscus rose hip is like that's probably the extreme example because we put raspberries in there too but rose hips and hibiscus make for a really interesting flavor. We've got a hibiscus mead coming out in a few weeks um, that's got some dried apple, uh, hibiscus, and uh, gosh, there's one more thing in there. I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but yeah, we love playing around with like kind of the herbal side of things. You started with home brewing. So what is it that really inspired you when it came to the mead like it obviously there must have been a turning point that you started doing mead and like what was it that what was it that like really was like the driving force behind that other than there were too many breweries <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean so I'd never made mead home brewing I'd only done beer it was ash my cousin who had made a lot of mead and um you know if you bring it to like family stuff family events or whatever and, uh, you know, I remember like trying it and being like, what, why is he making mead? Like, what the hell is mead? <laughs> what is the deal with this? And, uh, you know, like, I mean, I, when we, when we started, it, the idea was we would do both mead and beer. And I was really excited to do beer. I think, you know, uh, legally we ended up not being able to do uh, both in, in the same facility, uh, you know, just another, the, those stupid laws resurfacing. But it's it's definitely for the best, and I'm glad that we did. What really kind of clicked for me with with mead was um, a combination of what I said earlier about the honey, you know, being representative of essentially like the agriculture of an area, and being able to capture that, um, you know, what flowers were blooming when the bees were collecting the nectar, being able to capture that in a glass of 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 of, of a beverage of a libation. Um, that was really intriguing to me and just then opening up to wow we can put pretty much anything in this like there are no rules there's no um there's no pre-existing structure there's no styles real i mean there there, there are like but you know in terms of 
there's no snobs out there yet. Like there aren't, there aren't mead purists out there yet that are like, no, 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 you can't do it like that. You have to do it like this. Um, and, you know, we started, uh, we went out to the, the Mazer Cup. Are you guys familiar with that? No. The Mazer Cup, it's this, uh, it's the, the biggest mead competition uh, in the world. It's every, well, in non-COVID times, it's every March or April in uh, out in like just outside of Boulder, Colorado. And um, it's, uh, they do a, a commercial side and a home side. And so we started submitting uh, meads to that and then going out and participating in it back in like, I feel like we went in 2012 was our first time and going out to that. And, you know, it's one thing when you're like, just like a couple of like, you know, country kids, like in Ossipee, New Hampshire, sort of doing stuff in your own little bubble. Um, but then going out there and realizing that like, there are, you know, there's, there was, you know, hundreds, literally, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of needs that have been submitted, but there's hundreds of people who are just extremely passionate about doing, making mead and, and tasting it and drinking it and learning about it. And there were like, you know, people that came from Europe, you know, whose families have been making mead for generations in the way that, you know, people have been making, their wine making families have been, you know, making wine for generations and, you know, just getting a real sense for the breadth of what could be done. Um, you know, you, uh, we signed up to judge some of the homebrew sides of things and you sit down with, you know, this, you know, whatever the category you're doing, it's, you know, fruit meads or, you know, uh, you know, random, you know, other, other, uh, things that aren't in a category, uh, you know, kind of like experimental stuff. And you just sit down and like, you know, somebody has made, you've got, you know, a bacon mead, you've got a, you know, just like all these, like whatever, like any combination of spices and herbs, coffee, um, you know, just absolutely anything. And that was just like, wow, like you can, you can really create anything. And both Ash and I, our backgrounds prior to opening the meadery was, um, you know, culinary. We were, we were uh, cooks and chefs in, in restaurants. And so, you know, the ability to take, um, you know, sort of the creative process of coming up with, uh, you know, recipes and, and, and culinary stuff and having that so easily translate into alcohol. You know, if you're making beer, you're really restricted. Well, now you're not because now people are putting everything from pop tarts to, you know, just whole fruit mustard. I think it was a French mustard. mustard beer last year. Jesus, yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, so, but at least back then, you know, it was like you, you're restricted to hop, you know, hops and, and different kinds of malts, and you know, you you've got kind of a narrow lane. But with mead, it was like, you know, it was just the same as coming up with a, you know, a sauce for a dish or. Um, you know, any, anything like that, you could just be like, I wonder what that, that, that would taste like combined together um, and be able to do it in, in a way that was, you know, kind of, kind of interesting. And, and that it would be a sort of accepted because there weren't those pre-existing rules and, and purists that would, you know, wag their fingers at you. And you've obviously had so many incredible experiences. So before we wrap, can you share your favorite part or at least like one of your top favorite parts of working with Mead and, you know, having this business and really getting to know all the people who are passionate about it like you are and where we can find you so we can follow along with the rest of your journey on social media? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's been, I've been incredibly fortunate to, you know, the community of, 
people in the mead world, you know, like you said, we're all kind of like reinventing the wheel um, and kind of blaze, everybody's sort of like blazing their own path. Um, but everybody's like extremely helpful. You know, um, you ever have a question or whatever, uh, you can call or email just about anybody in the industry and they're like, oh yeah, I dealt with that problem last week. Here's what we're doing. Um, so everybody's really great. You know, my favorite aspect of it is, um, you know, getting a chance to, you know, work behind the bar at the meadery and see people who have either lived in Ossipi for, you know, a long time, or they've been like, you know, their families come up in like summer at the lake, you know, for a long time and hearing their, you know, reactions and thoughts on, uh, to see something happen in Ossipi, you know, a town that, you know, cause I was, the, that's the idea is we're trying to, you know, help to revitalize the town and give it a little bit of something to be proud of. And so anytime I get to hear somebody talk about that, um, you know, how they remember some old timers, like I remember when there was a, you know, a barbershop and a pharmacy around the corner and, you know, it's been empty for 50 years and this is so great. Like that kind of stuff is, uh, it never gets old. It's definitely my favorite part. And as far as where to, to find us, you know, obviously all the socials, uh, Facebook uh, and Instagram is kind of where we primarily reside. Uh, and, uh, you know, email newsletter at Saphouse Meadery is the tag and, and saphousemeadery.com is the website. And we'll include uh, links in the description below for everyone to be able to find it easy. So, yeah, thank you for coming on and spending the time with us tonight. We're so excited to try the mead. We had a lot of fun. Um, we've been going for a while now. I know after this, I have been growing some fresh herbs myself. I got some fresh mint, so I'm going to try making one of those mead hitos with the jam sesh. So that's, uh, I guess, my next challenge for the night. But again, thank you so much for taking the time. I can't wait to come in, try some more. Cheers. Cheers. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. It was a pleasure meeting you. Be sure to follow us on social at Uncorked Corner and on the blog at uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening.